Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Lucas Miles, a pastor, a television host, and author of the new book, Woke Jesus, the False Messiah Destroying Christianity. And Pastor Lucas Miles, thank you for joining us today on The Shilling Show Unleashed. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. People have heard the term woke. They know the term Christianity, but they have a hard time putting the two together. So help us to understand the fundamentals of woke Christianity. Yeah, woke Christianity is essentially Christianity that has allowed what I call sort of this doctrinal hitchhiker to um, attach itself uh, really as a parasite to the faith. And in, in most cases, that's some form of Marxism or critical theory, as we call it. We've seen this throughout you know, history. We could go back to you know, the mid-1900s, and you see the, the adaptation uh, within Catholicism, where um, a uh, priest in Latin America named Gutierrez uh, really combined the Catholic faith with Marxism and, and developed what became known as liberation theology that jumped over to America in the form of black liberation theology. This trend has continued. So in my book, Woke Jesus, I trace this history of really the development of Christian thought that has been amalgamated with these Marxist substructures that continues various forms of heresy today. You have written another book about the Christian left, and, and that was a term that we were familiar with for many years. So what's the difference between woke Christianity and the Christian left? Are they just one and the same? So I think that it's important to understand that we talk about, you know, really any sort of false beliefs, that these exist on a spectrum. In my first book on this, uh, The Christian Left, my intention was really just to, to show people, here's what's happening today. These are the trends that we're seeing, and here's some of the things that you can do about it to protect yourself in this. Uh, as I traveled around with that book and countless speaking engagements and media appearances, what I found was there was still a lot of misunderstanding about what wokeism was, what progressive Christianity was. And so I wanted to do more of a historical deep dive into this book to show the evolution of progressive thought within the church, how it has affected people, what they can do about it. And I wanted to give people really the tools to be able to dismantle this kind of thinking. You know, that I think the average pastor, if you were to ask them about uh, why transgenderism does not, uh, you know, that ideology does not belong in the Christian faith, that it's antithetical to it, I think that they could give you maybe some sort of a quick answer. But if you ask the average person at church, I think they would struggle sometimes connecting the dots throughout Scripture. And so I really wanted to put these beliefs of wokeism that promote things like abortion and open borders and globalism and socialism and Marxism and all sorts of divergent sexual behaviors, and really put that up next to Christianity to see where things stand and to empower the believer to be able to, you know, really rise above this and to be able to communicate their faith clearly in these such critical times. 
So what we're seeing now is a subversion of the church. Uh, certain denominations, I'll name a few, you've, you've covered some of these in the book, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, which have just gone off the rails in many ways. But this was the last bastion against a cultural downfall. I've seen it in my own involvement in politics and Christianity, that the Christian church was kind of the, the finger in the dike preventing the dam from bursting, and that seems to be gone. I think you're very much right there. Um, look, I'm, I, I'm an optimist, and I, when I read the Bible, I believe and see that God wins in the end. Yes. But it's important to recognize that this does not mean that the church in America will always thrive. When you look over in, in Europe, you see places like Germany and Italy. We have these great reminders of a once vibrant church in the form of beautiful cathedrals. But now those cathedrals are empty. And I don't want to see that happen here in America. I think that the radical left and this Marxist agenda that is being pushed out by, by you know, some very powerful people in our, in our world, that they understand that the left can't win elections unless they really come after the family and they come after the church. And those two institutions, if you will, were, you're right, they were the things that have been holding back this really socialist restructuring of America, this uh, revisionist history of our Constitution, of the Bible, these things. It's, it's an ideological war, really, is what's happening. And I think that there's still a lot of people in the church that are not living as if we were are truly on the front lines right now to the degree that we are. And I think that we, we need a wake-up call. So a lot of people would look at this as a battle of the flesh, but I want you to talk about and get your comment on this is a a principalities and spiritual warfare that's going on right now. This is nothing less than a demonic attack on Christianity, Christians, and our culture, which by and large has honored God over the years. Anytime you deal with something, you have both the layers of sort of this natural realm, you know, is the emotional side, the ideas, the you know, the the arguments, the policies, those things. And then we have the spiritual dynamic that's going on kind of behind the scenes. And and really that spiritual side of that, I believe that's the primary, that's the thing that, that is really setting the framework for this. When you look at something like Marxism, it's a religion. It's not just a political uh, structure. It's not, uh, you know, Marx was, was not an economist as he's, you know, wrongly classified. He was ultimately a theologian and he had a very specific theology that was basically a man-focused deity. It was the worship of man. This is the this is ultimately uh, what it comes down to is the main contrast that we see at times in Scripture of, are we going to trust Jesus as Lord, or are we going to trust in ourselves? And Marxism is sort of this height of trusting in ourselves in this spiritual battle. You know, it's a doctrine of demons. And I think as believers, it's so important. We have to look at this holistically utilize all the full rights that you have as citizens, vote, use your voice, go to the school board meetings, you know, write the letters, call the, uh, your, your politicians. Uh, but we also have to use the resources that we have available to us as believers. And that is, that is prayer, you know, guarding our own hearts, ministering to other people. And I think it's important that we don't just stay in our prayer closet, that we also go out there. I heard of a, a gal here recently that she was showing up to pride parades not to protest, but just to walk around and talk to people individually and minister to them. And she kind of went in covertly and, and, you know, just had tremendous results through that. So we have to get creative in these days. That might not be for everybody, but the Holy Spirit can lead you to really show you how you can get involved, you know, in this important time. Pastor Lucas Miles, in the book, you talk about the elevation of Jesus' humanity over his divinity. So we're seeing 
comments like Jesus was married or Jesus was gay or transgender, didn't rise from the dead. This is coming from what used to be mainstream churches. It would have been considered heresy previously. So what is really behind this kind of putting the thumb on the scale of of Jesus and his humanity and his divinity? Yes, this has been a sort of slow development, uh, really coming out of the Enlightenment. So during the Enlightenment, it was very similar to kind of the crossroads the church found itself in during the postmodern movement here recently. There was such a push for human reason, human logic, scientific method, Darwinism, you know, these things. We had Kant and Hegel as these major philosophers that shook the world. It got to the point to where the church was, I think, reeling, trying to figure out how do we keep, you know, this this story of Jesus relevant, this person of Jesus relevant in the face of this cultural onslaught. There were some in that process that faltered. There was actually a group of pastors and theologians in Germany was sort of the, the epicenter for this that started writing these extra biblical biographies of Jesus. They were they were sort of imagining what Jesus' life might look like if they cut away what they believed was sort of the myth and fable and exaggeration of Scripture in these miraculous aspects of Jesus' life. And so because they themselves had been consumed with this post-Enlightenment thinking, they stopped believing in the miraculous of the Scriptures. And so they were looking for a way to tell the story of Christ kind of minus that. And so some of these were just very ridiculous. They would, they would justify things like, well, Jesus really didn't, you know, multiply the bread and fish. He had a group of, you know, kind of these mysterious monks that lived in a cave next door to where this was, and they were handing out bread to him secretly. And, you know, he didn't walk on water. He walked on a raft, and the disciples just couldn't see it. And so they started downplaying the miracles. This has evolved over time, and, and I think that it, it eventually worked its way into our theology, you know, theological training centers or Bible colleges in the form of what's known as, as contextual criticism. And most Bible college, you know, students today are taught a lot of aspects of theology that came out of this, what's called the historical Jesus movement. And it causes them to begin to downplay and criticize the scriptures as they seek to understand the text. It's a very deceptive method of teaching uh, scriptures. This has shaped a lot of our pastors today that have, and they've become perfect substrate for wokeism as that's been presented. You have talked in the book about wokeism in education. I want to go to this example of Azusa Pacific University. I grew up in that area and had no idea that that institution had succumbed to all this push of wokeism. Give us a couple of vignettes of what's going on at APU. So APU, I think like several other Christian universities, is slowly being pushed in this direction. The way this typically happens is it starts at a board level. Um, a university might have certain board members that they take on or that, that come on the school's board and start kind of driving some of these policies and decisions. We're also seeing this, I give the example with Biola University in the book, yes. of uh, we're seeing some large donations that are coming into Christian universities from kind of some unsavory figures and, and that they're taking this money because it seems to be this, this grant that doesn't have any attachments to it. And we have to ask ourselves the question, after this money comes in from some stronger left-leaning figures and organizations, and then we start seeing these, these Bible college, they make policy changes regarding their policies on gender and sexuality on campus or their view of certain issues. We had you know, one Bible college professor that referred to a large painting of Jesus as a symbol of alienation for the students of color on campus. You know, you start seeing these really like about faces 
in their doctrinal beliefs, you have to follow the money. And so I, I do a lot of kind of deep dive into that, some, some investigative journalism in, in that chapter specifically uh, to really bring those things out. And it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm sending my kid to a Christian college anymore, uh, because if they're not at the right Christian college, I think that that can become you know, very, very deadly for their faith. And so I'm, I'm excited. I, I partner with places like Liberty University and uh, and Karis Bible College in, in Colorado and, and Summit Ministries and other places that I think are still doing just a tremendous job raising up this next generation of believers. So we live just up the road from Liberty University, and there's a lot of people, young people in my church that go there or have gone there, and they seem to be maintaining, if not getting stronger. But what are they doing right that the others aren't doing? In other words, is there a model that could be extracted from or extrapolated from the operation of Liberty University and applied to places like APU or Biola? Just as my disclaimer here, I don't speak for Liberty University. I have no formal you know, involvement with them in that sense. But yes. I can tell you from my observation, there's a group there and sort of an institution within Liberty called the Freedom Center. And the Freedom Center, I see them as sort of this this doctrinal watchdog, this orthodox think tank within the school, and they are doing some incredible stuff. They're engaging in all the major cultural topics. They're they're promoting activism with their students. Uh, I was out in uh, D.C. with them for the March for Life this last year, and you know, went out there and, and they had, you know, literally just hundreds of students that they brought, you know, that were directed by the Freedom Center. And, and they had literally led the parade of the March for Life through the Capitol. And so, you know, they're just doing some incredible stuff, promoting biblical truth and opportunities for students, with, you know, with a Christian worldview to really happen. And I think that's where some of these other schools have gone off is they've never, they, they've not empowered an internal entity that serves as sort of the watchdog and the accountability for that. And I think that schools would benefit by taking a page from the Liberty Playbook on this. I think that would be you know, a major step in helping to prevent some of these institutions you know, from going the wrong direction. Because look, the reality is that Harvard, Yale, even place like Notre Dame down the street from me, uh, lots of you know, these, these old landmark schools in our nation, they started as places to train clergy. They started as you know, Christ-focused institutions and they have all drifted from that. Why? Because there, there was a doctrinal drift over time, pressure put on them and these things. And the same thing is happening to the Azusa Pacifics and the Biolas and the Wheatons. And if they don't take steps to change that now, we're going to be in need of a whole other round of Bible colleges to rise up to actually teach true Christian beliefs. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Pastor Lucas Miles in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, 
but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at BorderhawkNews on Twitter. Get your fix. Chilling Show Unleashed. We continue with Pastor Lucas Miles. The book is Woke Jesus, the False Messiah Destroying Christianity. And Pastor Lucas Miles, let's talk about Christian nationalism. My goodness, I've been uh, termed a Christian nationalist. And while I was familiar with the term, I didn't really know exactly what someone was getting at. It was definitely not a kind thing from their perspective. But what is Christian nationalism and how are Christian nationalists being portrayed by the left? Christian nationalism is one of these terms that it kind of depends on who you ask on what the definition that you'll find is. This is a term that's being used to villainize Christians, to paint a picture of them. I refer to it as a dog whistle. Uh, You know, we think of this word nationalist, we tend to think of Nazi Germany and the Third Reich. And I believe that the media and and certain radicals on the left are using this term, at least used it originally, to to create a correlation between evangelicals and the Nazi party, that they wanted to push this idea that evangelicals are bigoted and racist and these things, and, and that they're operating like Nazis in this nation. I think that there's been a different, there's been a, a wide array of response among evangelicals who've been accused of that term. And, you know, like, like you, I've, I've had multiple people accuse me of that. They haven't read my book. They, you know, will probably continue to do it. I think that there's some evangelicals that are adopting this term and almost saying, hey, if if you want to call me a Christian nationalist, I guess I'm a Christian nationalist. And they sort of wear that as a badge of honor and they take that on. And I'm not trying to be critical of them, but I think it's the wrong move. So what I do in my book is I say, look, if if we're going to imply that somebody has an affiliation, essentially, this this subtle affiliation with, with Nazism or Nazi idealism in this, then let's look at really what happened in Nazi Germany. So I, I kind of flip that around in the conversation on Christian nationalism and do a deep dive into the theology that happened in Nazi Germany. At the time, we saw two major uh, church groups. There was the professing church, which Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth and others were part of, who stood against the Nazis and the Third Reich. And then there was the German church, which kind of became later known as the German Nazified church. They were the group of sort of so-called Christians that ended up really laying down their belief system, the biblical foundation uh, that they had, and they began to exchange their beliefs for these these ideas of the Third Reich. As uh, Eric Metaxas so just wonderfully states in his book on Bonhoeffer, is that they were willing to lay down the Bible for Mein Kampf and the cross for the swastika. And, and so when you look at this, the Christian nationalists, in Nazi Germany were not the Christians who stood on the Word of God, that professed their faith, that stood against opposition to the Scriptures. They were the Christians who bowed their knee to the agenda of the state. They were the Christians who their theology didn't look any different than the theology or philosophy of the Third Reich. And so what we see today is we have a group known as the Progressive Church or the Christian Left or Woke Christians. Their ideology today is no different than the state. There's no different view that they hold about marriage, sexuality, gender, uh, open borders, globalism, socialism, than what the current administration holds to. 
they've aligned themselves fully. So in that sense, I don't believe that somebody who is a strong believer, loves God and believes in being a good citizen in this nation and loves country, that person's not a Christian nationalist. That's just called being a good Christian and submitting to the powers and authorities that are around you as long as they don't cause you to go against God. But what we see on the left right now is we see a bowing of the knee and they've become a weak church and a willful place of propaganda for the leftist message to go forward. And I think in many ways they've been used in sort of this Marxist substructure we've been talking about as these useful idiots to be able to promote this uh, uh, really radical left agenda. One of the criticisms of Christian nationalism, briefly, is the support of Israel, which we are called to do, I believe, as Christians, and yet that has become kind of a focal point of this whole issue. So what do you see the role of supporting Israel is in the life of just a good non-woke Christian versus Christian nationalism? Is there a tie there? Uh, This is a very important topic because uh, what I see is that progressive Christianity tends to lean towards anti-Semitism in many ways. And it's because that, you know, Marxism holds this idea of oppressor and oppressed. When there's actually been a group, the Telos group, um, as one of the ones I write about in the book, that they have actively taken Christian influencers on Holy Land tours. But what it appears is that instead of going to Israel and seeing the sites in Israel, that they focus on Palestine, uh, which there's actually much fewer sites there in Palestine to see, but they take them to Palestine, and then these influencers surprisingly come back with a mindset, you know, Israel's the oppressor and Palestine's the oppressed. And there's sort of this revisionist history on trying to essentially paint a picture to where, you know, Israel does not have right to the land or does not have right to existence as as a sovereign nation. The reality is, is that, you know, previous to this current administration, Israel and the United States were the only two nations that were standing against a globalist agenda throughout this world. This sort of one world, you know, whether it be, you know, WEF or United Nations framework, the WHO, these things, all the pushing that's been happening to kind of unite the planet in this this globalist framework, it's been the United States and Israel that's kept that at bay. Right now, with the current administration that we have, it's really only Israel that is standing in the way. And so the reason so much attack is going against Israel is because they are the thing that is standing in the way of this new agenda uh, that, that's coming out of, of the radical left throughout the world. And so as Christians, look, just even from a biblical standpoint, we are called to be a friend to Israel. We are called to to support them, to pray for them. This doesn't mean that, that Israel can never make a mistake and that, you know, we can never, you know, address those things as a nation. But it it does mean that we should never go against them and that we should always support them. And, you know, Zionism can exist on a a wide spectrum. There's certainly, uh, you know, a lot of different theological beliefs in there we could talk about. But every single Christian should be a friend to Israel. And this this progressive Christianity that pushes us away from that begins to see Israel as the enemy and, and really as the oppressor in this Marxist framework. Uh, that needs to be rejected at all costs. You talk in the book about the problem of alienation. You also call it thrownness. Would you tell us about that and why it's important? Yes, the thrownness was a term used by uh, Martin Heidegger, um, German philosopher. And this is where it it really starts laying out that wokeism is essentially a form of neo-Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism was one of the early heresies to come against the church. We, we don't see it mentioned by name in the New Testament, but we see some of the beliefs referred to in various books of, of the New Testament and Paul's letters. 
And Gnosticism was kind of just rising on the scene within the, the first century church. And it would be later in the second century where thinkers like uh, Irenaeus would really address it strongly and warn against it. But Gnosticism, it starts with the framework that, that man is alienated and, and that they're alienated specifically, that we're alienated specifically by our creator. Uh, Gnostics believe that man was sort of this pre-existent spirit and that God subjected us into human flesh or into a, a created dimension. And as a result, that we essentially experienced systemic oppression is essentially how they would refer to it. You see this idea of, of systemic oppression start with Gnosticism, but then that, that thread continues. And, and, you know, Hegel and Marx in many ways were Gnostic thinkers. Uh, we see this with some of the other philosophers like Heidegger that get us there. And then in modern critical race theory and other critical queer theory, this idea of alienation is so central to their, their thinking, their, their modern neo-Gnostic movements that's driving wokeism. And, and what this really shows us is that the attacks against the church, they're not uh, multifold in many ways. It's really just some simple ideologies that keep resurfacing throughout history and sort of bringing the same arguments in a little bit different package to stand against the Lord. As you start understanding this central component of Gnosticism and really how the early church stood against this, it shows us a lot about how to stand against wokeism today. And really, Christ is the answer to alienation. Yes, the reality is that we were alienated, but we weren't alienated by God. We were alienated by sin and death the moment that mankind fell in the garden. And as a result, Christ came in the fullness of time, the scriptures tell us, in order to, to stand in the gap for us. He was the intersection of the holiness of, of God and the, the unrighteousness of man. He stood in that gap, took the punishment, and the penalty that we deserved in order to set us free. And he has solved the issue of alienation for all who put faith in him. And so I believe that the thing that the, the left is looking for, that, that woke believers are looking for, that uh, progressive thinkers are looking for, that even Marxists are looking for, it can be found in the person of Jesus Christ, the biblical Christ that is presented, if they would just give him a chance and begin to search the scriptures to seek him out. Pastor Lucas Miles, things have gotten bad and they seem to be getting worse. What do you see as the kind of next bellwether or the next steps, the push of the woke church and the push for the woke Jesus? I mean, where do we go from here? I think that the trans issue right now is a, is a major, uh, it should be majorly on our radars. I really don't think the church is prepared for the trauma that's going to come out of this movement uh, in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm sure that there's some other things that are developing here. You know, we hear talk about transhumanism and sort of this the expanse of, of technology and AI and these things. I think we've only started to see the surface, you know, scratched on that. I'm not against technology by any means, but I think that there's a lot of ethical questions that are going to come into play for this. And I think that the church really has to prepare themselves and begin to sort of build an arc, so to speak, that we can lead people into that they can become safe from what's happening in the world around them. Persecution is on the rise. Last year, I marched in the March for Martyrs in D.C., and there's uh, the stats on Christian persecution. They're devastating. They're, it's, it's horrendous what's happening all around the world where Christians are at risk. They don't have the freedom to worship the majority Christian experience really around the world. We're starting to see things happen at our northern border in Canada where faith has really been challenged. I've uh, seen pastors arrested and different things like that. And we've had a few instances here in the U.S. where persecution has seemed to rise, uh, even political persecution against Christians. And, um, I think that we have to prepare our hearts 
for really the long haul on this. I don't know if this is the end times or just the times that we're living in, but either way, we need to learn how to walk through this. We need to prepare ourselves, uh, and we need to make sure the church is ready to minister to a lost world that's been really damaged by a lot of this trauma that we've experienced all around us. Pastor Lucas Miles, if people would like to get a copy of Woke Jesus or also to follow your work and your ministry online, how can we do that? Absolutely. So Woke Jesus is actually currently number one on Amazon right now in church and state and I think a couple other categories. So we just hit the bestseller status. Very excited about that. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBooks.com. You can also head over to LucasMiles.org, which is my website. You can order that book as well as, well as any of my other titles there directly from us. Uh, and if you're interested in finding out more about you know my speaking schedule or having me out to speak an event near you, uh, you can head over to LucasMiles.org as well and check that out. It's a very important book, Woke Jesus, the False Messiah Destroying Christianity. Pastor Lucas Miles, thank you for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thanks for having me. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.